0: And I would, I would guess that oftentimes maybe there is some distinction between their perception of their own voice and maybe your perception of it. I could see like ways in which that like general sort of gender dysmorphia can bleed into that perception.
1: Marissa, you could be a speech pathologist. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: I'm Brendan.
0: And I'm Marissa.
2: And welcome back to Dear Queers, the show where we answer all of your queer queries.
0: Yes, that is exactly what we are doing today, just like we do every other Monday, in your ears.
2: That's right. And we have another special guest with us today that we think you'll be quite excited to listen to. Um, <laughs>
0: Jesus Christ, that's, that's a pun and no one understands yet why it's a pun. I know. I know. Okay.
2: Yeah, I have All to, right. but without further ado, we'll let her, uh, introduce herself.
1: Hi, I'm Janet Hawley. I'm a associate clinical professor and a speech pathologist at the university of Arizona.
2: For some of our listeners who may not know what speech pathology even is. Do you mind giving a quick little summary?
1: Speech pathologists are um, trained, it's a minimum master's level, graduate level training, to treat individuals who have communication disorders or who seek communication enhancement. Um, We run the gamut from treating children almost from infancy all the way to people into their late 90s, early 100s. Um, So we work with children with language disorders individuals who stutter, um, people who've had medical concerns like strokes or brain injuries. Um, so it's a broad field, and I specialize in one little corner of that field. Which is? Um, I work a great deal with adults with voice disorders and also those who seek voice enhancement, um, gender um, alignment with their voice. Was, was
0: that first category you described, was it voice disorders, is that what you said?
1: Yes, so voice disorders are individuals who um, may overuse their voice and get roughness or who have a neurological problem and have a voice disorder. So there are many individuals who come to us with sore voice or a voice with, that has a problem. There's another subset that may come to us to seek to enhance their voice for professional reasons or other individuals who come because they want to have their voice align with their presentation.
0: Yes, and unsurprisingly to our audience, that is what we are particularly interested to hear, your expertise and insight about today.
1: So um, the way I approach um, voice communication um, alignment or affirmation therapy is to look at um, not only the voice, obviously people really tune into pitch to make decisions about whether someone is a male or female gender, um, but also there are other things we do with our verbal language, um, with the way we put sentences together, or ask questions, the vocabulary we use that also gives off hints as to our gender, Um, And then also nonverbal skills, you know, all the things we do with um, gestures and facial expression and posture and walking. So I broadly approach all of those things if um, the individual who's seeking me out is interested in those. So it's really pretty holistic look at communication rather than just singularly voiced.
2: Right. It seems like that would be the main focus, but I guess there's a whole encompassing thing to it, you know, making sure everything works together. And so, yeah, looking at it from like that holistic standpoint, I'm sure is helpful.
0: I would be so interested to hear more about what the training looks like to be able to, to teach those skills. Like I, I'm so fascinated in the idea of like, how do you as the practitioner learn, I'm assuming for like trans patients of yours, if someone is, for example, like a trans woman, you're like here is like here are ways that like women's dialects are and gestures that are more common in women than they are in men. Like, how do you? What training did you have to learn that before you pass it on to other
1: people? That's a wonderful question. Um- First, I would say you said trans-patient, but we definitely use the word client in this okay. case because they are not individuals who have a disorder, and that's a really important statement to make. I actually am um, a great deal self-taught. I really found this an area of great interest, and the individuals I work with are just so motivated, excited, appreciative, that it's just been something that I've loved and done more and more of. Um, When you ask about how do you get trained, I actually, that is a big part of my job. I train graduate clinicians, so they take on a case with me and read the, you know, we do an evaluation of the individual, figure out where their pitch is now or what their nonverbal skills look like, their verbal skills. We have a sort of a nice little evaluation we do to look at all of those. And then we dive in, and it's a mix of... Um, we literally get like a piano app and we um, identify a tone, a note that's a good one to start at. And then we do a lot of practice and drill. Then on other things, we might show a video and and literally practice doing some gestures, talking about scenarios. Like what would you do if you wanted to show your friend a rash on your face? Or if you wanted to point someone out across the room and we literally go through it and practice and talk about it and it's always back though to the client to decide, is this for me, is this how I wanna present? So we present lots of different kinds of things and let them choose which of those things they wanna to continue to, to do as part of their presentation. Did that answer that question? It did, and,
0: and I, I appreciate you <laughs> correcting my language there. That makes a lot of sense to me why client would be a much more uh, appropriate category to use than patient. And I was really struck by kind of the last bit of what you said. It sounds like giving the client's agency and sort of like what feels right for you, what feels congruent Mm. with your identity, I would imagine, is probably a pretty big part of it, especially as like inherent to the work is sort of breaking down societal norms and prescriptions, so to speak. It makes sense. I, I could certainly see how it would be challenging for folks to sort of, have to jump from one end of the binary to another and be like, this is how you do womanhood or this is how you do masculinity, <laughs> I, I think could be like not necessarily the most affirming approach. Right. So it sounds like it's really more about like, here are all the options to that are available to you. What feels good to you?
1: Precisely. You said that very well. Um, and in fact, we sometimes use a bucket analogy and say, you know, here's like a male bucket, here's a female bucket and, you know if you really you know if you want not really if you want to present as female you want to be congruent you just need to get enough in that basket that people will you know sort of take it like I have many things in my male bucket but I have enough in my female bucket that generally I'm ma'am you know I'm um, not mm-hmm. misgendered so um, as a cisgender person that's of course easy to say so you know there's no prescription for you need to do x y and z it's really here are some oper- you know here are some things you can try um, and I will say that most of my clients are seeking me out because they really, I seem far more binary, you know, when trans women mm. who really want to pass for safety reasons or just feel them, you know, to feel like they're the best them. So they are seeking that feminine look, generally speaking. So
2: I like that bucket analogy that you gave. It makes sense to me that way of like, okay, you have someone coming in who's saying, oh, I feel like my male bucket is too full and people are only looking at that bucket so like can you help me put more into the female bucket so that when people see me they see some of that as well so i think thinking about it that way makes a lot of sense to me
0: i was curious to hear more about like the usually and i'm sure it's different for every client that you see but like the needs and desires of what brings people in the door it sounds like to some degree it's folks who are looking to pass more effectively for lack of a better way of putting it. Obviously I know there's a lot of like nuance to be had in the conversations around passing, but I, am I'm interested in whether, and of course there's a huge overlap between these things, how much of it feels like I want to be read a certain way versus like this, this is going to help me feel more in line for myself.
1: Uh, Again, a great comment. Um, And it, it is both of those. And sometimes for different people, sometimes the same people. Um, Some, like I had someone recently come who said, I go into people's homes um, to, you know, um, renovate or something. And she said, it's really important to me that they're comfortable and that I'm safe. And so I really want to pass as a woman. I don't want there to be any question about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Another person says, you know, I'm really okay with people sort of seeing me in a non-binary way but i really want to explore the feminine side of me so i want to have more of those behaviors and then try them out you know so it's quite a range one of the very first questions we do ask folks when they come in is what brought you to us at this time and where do you see yourself now and where do you see yourself wanting to be and i have a number of scales i use so i'll say you know um one of the there's a change transgender voice questionnaire um, that is published out there and it asks, do you have a low male voice, a sort of male voice, a gender neutral voice, sort of female voice or an extremely female voice? They rate themselves where they are and where they wanna be. So that gives us guidance, you know, if they say I have a very low male voice and I wanna have a very high female voice, in their perception. We're also gonna do some measurements to determine what we think about that, but um, their choice about where they wanna be is clearly their choice.
0: And I would would guess that oftentimes, maybe there is some distinction between their perception of their own voice and maybe your perception of it. I could see like ways in which that like, general sort of gender dysmorphia can bleed into that perception.
1: Marissa, you could be a speech pathologist. (laughs) 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 That's exactly right. Sometimes people, really have a different perception of what they sound like than we might think they do you know and we use both objective measures and perceptual and perceptual is really important we're all humans we all react you know to other humans and there's actually been some studies done in our field where they found that speech pathologists perceptions generally aligned with the norm, you know, typical population. So it was kind of important to find that out, so that you know we could say, yeah, we kind of have a an ear for what other people would think. Seems kind of obvious, but it gave some credibility to our judgments in the process. But we also definitely have the client themselves rate and perceive what they think of their voice. You know, and and another point I'll make, kind of throwing this in here, is that it is really important, I believe, that when people are trying to change their voice. That they do see a professional that you can injure your voice or lead to voice disorders by doing things with your mechanism in a way that's not healthy and can lead to long term voice problems. So it's nice when people seek us out because we will do it in a healthy way um, and ensure that they're not leading to a voice disorder.
2: Yeah, because I imagine you can cause damage to like your vocal folds and, you know, if you're distressing your voice.
1: it's a misuse disorder, like it's, they're using, like they have a, you know, they were born male and have a larger voice box or larynx. Um, we can help them use that voice to be feminine, but you can do it in a way that is not healthy and can lead to voice disorders. So. And there's a lot out there on the internet. I My clients will tell me, yeah, I heard on the internet that the best thing to do to get a female voice is to scream at the top of your lungs and then kind of come down and find your voice. And you're like, I'm so glad you came to see me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a
0: million more things I could ask, um, but should we go into the actual questions that are listeners had provided what do you think
2: kind of fits in with what we've been discussing a little bit um Mm -hmm. dear queers growing up i was made fun of for my feminine way of speaking as a proud gay man i am not ashamed of my voice anymore but i still feel self-conscious in certain situations and try to lower my voice to sound more masculine is this common to just the way we speak in different situations Also, what makes someone's voice stereotypically feminine or masculine? From me, my voice, and I. Mm -hmm. So Um, I
1: love that question. Um, I think absolutely um, we change our voices to match the situation. And while I would encourage that person, of course, to continue to speak any way he likes, um, we do, we call it code switching. So if I'm speaking to the queen or to my boss, I'm probably using a different voice and style of speaking than I might to my best girlfriend, you know? So um, we do change our voice. We're very good at it as humans. There are, uh, there's definitely different ways Gay men talk versus trans women, and that's something when we're doing the therapy that we really distinguish. Um, so, the question or the other part of that I think was are there different things we do to our voice to portray ourselves? And um, something I think that's missed a lot again, there's a lot of perception about pitch and that it has to do with your absolute pitch if you're talking high or talking low. But there's also something called resonance, and um, where the pitch is affected by our, our voice, um, by our vocal folds, they affect if our pitch is low or high and how we change it if, you know, across a sentence. But our throat up to our lips affects our resonance. It's that cavity, gives us the Timber tone of our voice and so you can change that as well Um, and when we work with trans women we work on getting a more forward resonance versus kind of a back resonance so I can bring it forward and make it lighter and brighter so the gay person in that question could do things to change his resonance as well as his pitch as well as as we talked earlier some of the verbal kinds of words we choose ways we put sentences together so there are lots of things that we do to influence others perception of ourselves through our communication did i that's, get through what he mentioned
2: <laughs> it seems like it yeah i i just i that's interesting in terms the that kind of difference between like pitch versus resonance because i think feminine voice is higher masculine voice is lower pitch wise and that's kind of this stereotype i guess that i'm sure a lot of people also think of and yet there's a lot more to it than just that and a lot of other elements to our voice that makes people recognize it as one gender or another so
1: exactly one of the cute little things we work on are called tag questions and women tend to use this is under verbal um syntax or you know sentence construction women tend to say things like it's a little hot don't you think or um let's go to the mall what do you say instead of saying I want to go to the mall, do you want to come, we'll, we'll do that tag at the end. So that's a little fun thing we might teach someone, and um, again, it, it communicates a little more. Women are about engaging other people, bringing people together, you know, again, a stereotype, but a behavior that promotes that is that little tag question, don't you think? Um, so that's something that we do, again, another thing beyond, well beyond pitch that it communicates about who we are
2: again it's interesting with like because you almost do have to play into these stereotypes a little bit because that's it almost it's making it so that it reads to people kind of like top of mind so like as much as like it's like okay these are stereotypes in a way that kind of get conditioned but but they're recognizable things that we do that we place on gender in a way so It's sort of a back and forth a little bit.
1: In my evaluation reports, I have a disclaimer that says, these are, I grant you stereotypes and you can take them for what they are and, you know, we're just gonna share what our perceptions were and their stereotypes, mm-hmm. um, but that's where we live. We live in a society that has ideas about, you know, like you said, how we people read, you know how you read people so
0: that's so interesting to think about, right how do you because right there's you have to utilize those stereotypes or really you're not left with too much, I would imagine, and i but I also I could imagine it could be very difficult to kind of thread the needle between like here's in reality what's available to us with also not making it feel too restrictive.
1: Exactly. I think that comes back to that bucket kind of thing. You know, it's we don't want any restrictions. Um, but it's, it's just interesting, like the, the joy some of my clients get. Um, and I guess where I'm going with this is the power dynamic for trans women who have lived as men in their adult life we often have conversations or we'll do groups where we talk about, you're losing some power, you know, when you shift into being more female. And one of them shared with great glee one day how um, the guy came out to look at their air conditioner or something and she said, well, that he, the person who looked at the air conditioner, said, well, you may want to ask your husband. And she was thrilled that they read her as female and thought she should get the wise advice of her male husband. So. You know, we live in this this world with these ideas. So,
0: yeah, I think it really speaks to kind of like you said when we were having a little bit of that conversation about passing the the out when it really is useful, not just for like safety purposes, but also like having that like affirmation, that external affirmation of like your gender presentation is congruent with your gender identity. I'm sure that that is something that is really meaningful for your clients to get to experience.
1: It absolutely is, and they routinely come in. Last week, a woman came in and said, I was at the grocery store, and there was a man in front of me with a lot of items, and then he said, oh, let her go ahead. And she was like, yay, <laughs> you know? So um, they tell me those stories all the time, that, you know, when it's affirming to them that they are communicating what they want. to.
2: It sounds like, I mean, you have to wear so many different hats as, like, you know, you're working with people's speech, you're working with mannerisms. Like, would you say you're also kind of a therapist in a way, too, like having to kind of counsel and guide them through?
1: You know, I appreciate that, Brendan, because um, I absolutely think that's true. And, you know, a study that I did where I, I had a voice program, I was publishing an article about it, and I talked about the fact that there is that component. Um, voice is such an integral part of who we are and how we perceive ourselves. And sometimes my clients will say, I feel like this is a new person I need to get used to, this new voice. Um, so there is that kind of um, acceptance or uh, adjustment kind of counseling that goes on. to yeah. help People feel really solid with this voice and get to know it. It's a different sound coming out of them.
0: Do you often find that your clients, like you're working in tandem with other providers? So is it common that your clients are, you know, like seeing a physician for like some hormone therapy, maybe they're in psychotherapy as well, or is it more segmented than that?
1: I do like to perceive myself as part of their team. Mm -hmm. And we do have some opportunities to communicate with counselors or psychologists um, and I, Definitely, I get referrals from a pediatrician in town who works with adolescents quite a bit, and so we communicate about his younger, you know, clients or patients in that case. So, um, I'd like to do more of it. I think it's um, a really useful way. I'm, I'm big on working in teams. So, most clients do are seeing a counselor or, or something to for that adjustment process too. Although some say, you know, I'm, I'm going to the counselor because now it's more about my wife's in my relationship, Uh, my transition's going great, you know, so you never know quite why they're seeing someone.
0: Another question I would have before, I guess we return to our second question of the inbox is, do you feel, and I don't know to what degree you would even necessarily be aware of this because of the inherent selection bias, but do you feel like most like trans folks are aware that you're like this is something they have access to because I I don't even know and I like I work I'm a like I'm a psychotherapist I work with trans clients myself like I don't know if this would have ever been something that even crossed my mind to like refer to like how what is the general knowledge in the trans population that this is a service that is accessible
1: I don't think it's well known, and that's one reason I'm so passionate about training our grad clinicians, so they can go out and continue to do this. Um, I have clients who seek me out from, like, Phoenix, several hours away. I've had clients driving down to Tucson, because there just aren't a lot of services, and Phoenix is a huge community. Um, I have people coming from out of state now that we're online as well, so um, I don't think there are a lot of providers, and I don't think when there are they're always that well known I think word of mouth is often how I get new clients they'll say we were in a meeting the other night and something came up and I mentioned your name so um, I think it's often word of mouth and as a profession you know like psychotherapy we don't go out exactly and advertise a great deal you know anyway
2: yeah I mean yeah we hope too. like that just by by doing this you know more people can become aware and people who didn't know about this as an option or even a an area um, that they'll at least be more aware now. um, I'm
1: really glad to hear that because, again, I think this issue of um, being very good to their voice box and taking good care of it and doing it in a healthy way is important. So, And, you know, if we haven't discussed it, this question comes up a lot. Um, Trans men are able to get on T, you know, they get on testosterone, and it actually at any point in their life can change their vocal folds and make them bigger and thicker and heavier and lower sounding. So trans men don't tend to seek out services like trans women do, because once you go through puberty, if you have had testosterone influence your vocal folds, they are permanently that size. So we can do things to change voice at that point, but it's, it's more difficult. Um, so both trans men and trans women can seek services, but we see far more more trans women for that That's reason.
0: That's so interesting. I guess I knew, mm-hmm. like, if I thought about it, that T would have that impact of deepening your voice, but I think I maybe assumed that going on estrogen would have had the inverse effect, but apparently that is not true.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And we would like to see probably more trans men because their voice quality isn't always quite as good as it could be, and they could probably learn some of the, these nonverbal things as well, but they often can get away without it, you know. So that's great if they can, you know. Mm -hmm.
2: They can be more passable, I guess, off the bat versus a trans woman may have to work at it a little harder. Exactly.
1: One
0: other thing I'm wondering about, kind of around that conversation of accessibility, is this something that insurance typically covers? How accessible is it financially?
1: Well, that's been a big thrust of mine. I have just worked on developing programs that, like a group program with short-term individual therapy, to try to find a way to make it as cost-effective as possible, because Mm -hmm. the short answer is no, most insurances do not cover it. Mm-hmm. Um, the big corporations that are smart, um, that you know, hire a younger crowd, such as um, I believe. I hope I'm not saying this in air, but Google, Microsoft, those kind of companies are more likely to cover this service. If I see someone and they also have a voice disorder that I can document, and they are also seeking to modify their voice um, for gender congruency I will document that there's a disorder and in those cases they will get a medical coverage for that sometimes Mm -hmm. so but many people pay out of pocket so again that's why I've tried to find ways to make it um, the least expensive possible to get the biggest bang for their buck
0: frustrating but not surprising to hear especially with the sort of like insurance will cover it if like they deem like there's a medical necessity there but this this is this is like a bonus this is an extra you don't need that it's something that I see in my practice um specifically with like the sex therapy services that our practice provides if I were to like use a diagnostic code of like genitopelvic pain or any sort of like really like vaginismus or anything that's like specifically around like women's sexuality insurance will absolutely not cover that but if someone if i can say that they have like generalized anxiety disorder or major depression or even erectile dysfunction because they'll cover that but they won't cover anything for women of course um yeah. but that that's not surprising at all to hear that like this does not fall under what the insurance industry has deemed as medically necessary
1: and I'm hoping that changes someday. You know, there's some, some hope for that, but it, it's unfortunate at the time, exactly.
2: Should we jump into our other question?
0: Yes. Shall I read it? Do it. Okay. This one comes from someone in the field. Dear queers, I am studying to be a speech-language pathologist and it's my role to teach children pronouns. I am required to teach he, she, they, and take data on whether they correctly attribute the pronoun to the gender it is assigned to classically. Is there a way for me to be inclusive about this education process within the confines of needing to maintain licensure and keep my job in a conservative state? From pronoun predicament
1: you know it's all very interesting to you to that very last thing about a conservative state because schools can have a big impact on sometimes our services which they should not but what I will say is that this is actually a question we see fairly frequently now in our you know blogs and things in our field um, the truth is lots of kids who have language impaired do have difficulty with pronouns so this comes up quite a mm. bit um, my response to this is that I think you can teach the pronouns while being inclusive um, by saying, you know, this person identifies as male. Therefore, you know, he's a he and let's work on he. And we do then a lot of drill around he. Um, So a lot of kids have trouble with that. They may say things like he are running. So we need to practice the pronoun and get it in the sentence right. They have language disorders. They understand gender. They understand you know, to the degree that kids do, you know, they recognize what it is that they're seeing. Um, So I think number one, we do need to work on pronouns and we can use language that implies that this is a, you know, this is this person's choice. This is their gender. Um, We also can teach with cats and dogs or, you know, cats and deer. So this is a deer, he likes to do this, or this is a cat, she likes to do that. At that point, these are usually kids who are three to five, six, seven at the tops years old, and we are really working just to help them be able to name and use pronouns. So it's not to confuse people. It's very confusing if a you know child says he came to get me and they thought mom came to get him. You know, so they need to know pronouns. We can throw in they um, and do that, but. Honestly, we usually just start with one pronoun. We're not contrasting them. So, again, I don't think we have to do it in a way that's totally binary. I think we can embed that without inflaming a school district, particularly. Mm.
0: I would also guess, too, that, like, I mean, even in everyday, non really gendered language, they is often used as a singular pronoun. You know, if I were to say, like, oh, I went to the pharmacist and they told me that my prescription wasn't ready or something like that.
1: That's a great, that's a great example of that. Yeah. So, you know, we can get that embedded in there um, pretty comfortably, I think, without staging a huge thing over it. I think we can be inclusive as we teach those to kids.
2: I like what you were saying about the, kind of adding that element of like choice in there of like specifying like this person identifies this way. You're still aligning it in a way where like, like you said, like the school district can't make a huge fuss about it, but making it clear that, gender is, you know, kind of a choice and fluid in that way. So I think that's a, a great way to go about it. I guess, did you have any, anything else that you were hoping to bring up or things that you wanted people to know about that you do? Or passionate I guess about? just
1: say that, you know, for the clients I work with, I think they're tremendously courageous. They come into you know therapy each week and they have to not have to, they do these activities with us, which are pretty, you know, could be perceived as embarrassing, or, you know, you kind of put yourself out there and try these things. So I'm just always really admiring the clients and what they're willing to do and how hard they work at it. Um, so, you know, they're very, you know, it's what they want to do and they're committed to it, and I admire them.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I imagine it It takes a lot to get to that point to be able to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to actively go and seek this out and work on this and do whatever i have to do and pay whatever i have to pay to to make that happen so
1: and i've had some adolescent clients who um you know you hear horror stories about parents but the parents who and then again it's a selected group but the ones who choose to bring their adolescent child to me teenager to me um, are really supportive parents and they've done wonderful things like send a christmas card to kind of do the reveal for their daughter or they are so supportive and they say things to me like you know i am so sure this is right now just seeing how my child is blossoming how many more friends they have how happy they are so um so again i I see a lot of goodness in this you know i know there's a lot of ugliness out there for transgender individuals that they can be a violent world and unsafe place but i see a lot of real goodness
0: that is lovely brennan that's the kind of gender reveal we can get behind is someone <laughs> yes, putting out in um, their christmas card like hey everyone guess we... what uh our kid is our daughter um we spend a lot of time on this podcast just tearing to shred uh like baby gender reveal parties well so. it's
2: truly a baffling how many i feel like especially i don't know if it's because we've been focused on it or it's just increased but i feel like this past year the amount of like catastrophic kind of gender reveal part like every other
0: week it's like forest (laughs) fire started from a gender reveal gone wrong so i don't it's just the universe telling people not to do it i
1: think (laughs) yeah we definitely had a big fire in arizona from a reveal yeah not talking about the same thing here yeah yeah (laughs) well i think
0: that i mean that answered so many questions that i had thank you so much for giving us your time. We really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. It was really fun. I enjoyed chatting with you guys. So um, that's great.
2: That was lovely.
0: That was so lovely. I almost asked her, I was like, what do you think about our voices?
2: I know I I had that instinct as well. And I thought, no, Mm -mm. I shouldn't. Mm
0: -mm -mm. But like half because I was like, that's not a fair... Like, I can't make her do yeah, her job, yeah. but half because, like, I was like, I don't know what she's going to say, and what if I don't like no, I know. it?
2: I know. I feel like she would have been honest enough, but also it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like, if we're right here, that's, like, kind of hard. What if she was mm-hmm. like, actually, you both sound like two cheese graters being crushed by an 18-wheeler, then I think we would have had to just leave, Probably. Probably. Or just maybe stop talking. Maybe just wouldn't, we wouldn't have said a single thing the rest of the time and just let her say things.
1: So. Yeah.
0: Uh, I think it probably would have crushed us emotionally, and I just don't know if that's something either of us have the capability to handle at this point in our lives.
2: No, I'm extremely sensitive and delicate. So
0: Yeah, we're fragile okay. little flowers, in case you couldn't tell. Everyone who listened today, mm-hmm. guess what? We need what? your questions. So we do. let us tell you all of the myriad ways... That you can get them to us. Number one, you can DM us on Instagram. Our Instagram is at Mm dear.queers. Is that right?
2: That's right. Okay,
0: ding, 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 ding. Slide into our DMs. Um, Number two, you can email us. Our email address is dearqueers.pod at gmail.com.
2: Two for two, baby.
0: And number three is you can go to our website at
2: dearqueers.gay. Woo! Ding ding ding! Yes, yes, yes! Wow, 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 wow. Mm-hmm. I'm so impressed. I, I actually was like not remembering myself, so I was kinda <laughs> like, is she gonna get it? I don't know.
0: She it. got it. So use one of those mechanisms um mm-hmm. and ask us your deepest Darkest, burningest questions about sex, relationships, gayness, nothing else. Don't forget, in addition to um, asking us questions, it is obligatory that you rate, mm-hmm. review, and mm-hmm. subscribe to mm-hmm. this podcast on your podcast app of choice, whether that be apple podcasts or stitcher or another one i don't really know where we're hosted i've
2: I've been using overcast recently actually because i kind of gave up on apple Podcasts.
0: apple podcasts can suck my ass
2: they (laughs) you can't say that they're gonna kick us off also i was told that is the only platform i think that you can like rate
0: i think it is podcast yeah
2: so don't Whatever. give us a sass like you know if you know better then rate it on there you don't have to be like oh i can't rate it on spotify like okay cool then don't
0: right and brendan <laughs> do you want to tell everyone what's going to happen to them if they don't do any of these things
2: oh <laughs> <laughs> i just flopped myself with my my uh headphone cable. do i so if you don't do any of those things it's a lot of things to be fair so you don't have to do do them all immediately but like pick one and do that but if you don't um we're gonna be forced to take both of our headphones marissa also in case you didn't know normally she has um bluetooth ones that aren't working so she also has a uh cabled earbuds today So we got a lot of spare cable to work with. We're going to find you when you're walking down the street and we're going to come up behind you with our, uh, headphones, earbuds, and we're just going to like tie you up with them like really well.
0: (laughs) It's not right. (laughs) I thought you were going to like, what is it called? Like garroting someone when you like strangle them with a cord.
2: Garroting?
0: I feel, I'm pretty sure, I'm Googling it right now. How do
2: you know that, what, that, <laughs> uh, isn't it just strangling?
0: No, gr- I, I could be pronouncing it wrong, hang on. Garrot. Yeah, garrotting, G-A-R-R-O-T-E, the, it is to kill someone by strangulation, typically with an iron collar or a length of wire or cord.
2: So it's a specific type of strangling, basically. Yeah, it's
0: like strangling someone with a cord as opposed to, like, your hands.
2: Yikes um, <laughs> The Phantom of the well,
0: Opera did it
2: Okay well I'm glad to learn a new term That hopefully I'll never need in my lifetime But uh, basically we won't, we're will not we not going to garrot you We're just going to tangle you up Like you know like when your cords get really tangled up in your bag And it's like impossible to knot them That but like on your body And then you won't be able to stand And so you'll just fall over down onto the sidewalk and everyone's gonna point and laugh at you because it's so embarrassing to be like tied up and like laying on the ground <laughs> and then we're both gonna just walk away but we'll come back if you like we'll leave your phone like next to your face so if you manage to like do one of the things we asked, like with your face like with your nose or whatever like figure it out then we'll come back. Like, we'll see it, we'll get a notification, then we'll come back, and then we'll untie you and let you go free about your day. Bye-bye.
0: Bye bye! Bye!